Welcome to Faith Church. We're glad you're here. Uh, today we are continuing our collection of messages entitled The Illustrations of Jesus. And uh, we're thrilled that you are tuning in wherever you are tuning in from, whether somebody shared this link out with you and you decided to, to give it a shot, look in, or, or you're here in person. Man, we're so thrilled uh, that you are joining us today at Faith Church. I want to uh, go to a, a parable today that Jesus told, a story, an illustration that Jesus told, uh, and we find it recorded in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have your uh, a copy of scripture, join me in Matthew chapter 20. And if you are uh, watching this online and you've got still access to your mobile device, join me at faithchurchks.org. There's a card there that says sermon notes. You can Read the scriptures, take some notes, and uh, if you're a parent and you have some littles running around, uh, there's a, a link there that uh, gets you access to all of our kids' resources. So the lessons and the things that we're teaching here in the, in, in the facility today with our kids, you can have access to watch them and allow your kids to engage in content that is on their age level as they hear the gospel of Jesus in that way. So take advantage of those, those two things there on our central hub. Well, today, the parable that Jesus tells us is a, is a story about a, a vineyard owner and the workers that he invites into his vineyard. And uh, this parable is an interesting one because it's tucked in between a, a stack of teachings that Jesus is going through. Like, like he talks about the teaching of the priority of having childlike faith, how if you want to experience the kingdom of God, then you really need to become more like a little child. And then he goes on to have an encounter with a rich man who then he encourages us and Jesus teaches us the proper view as it relates to riches and wealth. In other words, wealth isn't wrong unless it has your whole heart. And so he teaches the proper way to view riches. And then he gives us a correct paradigm with his disciples as to how should we view then our sacrifice? What should we be giving up for the kingdom of God? And and then he comes in and he gives us this understanding and he tells us this story. And right after this story, he then tells us when it comes to the kingdom of God, one of the greatest purposes is that we would lay down our life. And he gives us an example of what that would look like because he tells us about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and how the Son of Man will give up his own life to serve someone else. And I think it's interesting that right after that conversation, some of Jesus' disciples show up, and uh, they immediately are like, hey, Lord, can we sit at your right and your left? In other words, I know you're about to give up your power and your, your life, but I, I really want to make sure I can hold on to my own political power and get some positional power in the kingdom of God. And right in the middle of kind of this grander conversation that Jesus is having about the kingdom of God, he tells this story that I think helps us understand purpose. In fact, today, the title of the message is The Paradox of Purpose. The Paradox of Purpose. Here's what Scripture says in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, and he went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you the day's wage, or whatever is right. So they went. 
He went out again at noon and three in the afternoon, and he did the exact same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Does your life not have a purpose to it is another way you could rephrase that question. And they said, well, because no one has hired us, that's why we're still here. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those who, who were hired first saw that, they expected to receive more. We're going to come back to that phrase in a minute. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friends. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The last will be first and the first will be last. This is a paradoxical statement. It is a paradox that Jesus is using when he says the first are going to be last. And those that are last, they're, they're going to be first. This is the second time in these two chapters that Jesus has used this phrase. Uh, the first will be last and the last will be first. A, a paradox is this. It is a, a statement or proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd in reality, expressing a possible truth. It's an opinion or a statement contrary to commonly accepted opinion. Now, the Bible is full of these paradoxes. It's full of them. Uh, we, we read one, the first shall be last. That's one. Uh, another one that the Bible uses is giving is better than receiving. It's a paradox. It seems counterintuitive. Finding life starts with losing it. Uh, humility is the way to be promoted, but self-promotion will only bring you uh, being humbled, right? Serving is greater than being affluent. Freedom is not used for your own selfishness and doing whatever you want, which actually will lead you to bondage, but helping others find freedom is the reason you were set free. The, the Bible is full of these paradoxes, and, and even Jesus himself used another one where he said, uh, loving is about denying your needs and prioritizing others' needs. And having childlike faith is better than having an overly educated form of faith. It's a paradox. It sounds one way, but there's a meaning that goes counterintuitive. It does, it's a juxtaposition almost of things. In fact, much of these paradoxes in Jesus' ministry has to do with his attempt to show that there is a perspective or a value system that the kingdom of God has, and it is completely different and the reversal of the values by which often we live our lives. 
It's a complete reversal. It's different. It's, it's an upside down way of thinking. It's what's up is now down and what's down is now up. It's a paradox. It seems like a contradiction, but it's actually just uh, an unveiling of a, deeper, of a deeper truth. And in this parable where he says the last are the first and the first are last, I think Jesus is hinting and giving us an inkling as to what the paradox of purpose is really all about. You see, the, the kingdom of God, it's, it's, it's special, it's unique. And when it comes to our human purpose, we don't get to determine our purpose. God designs it. Now, here's what I know about, about you and, and is true of me and, and really the human heart in general. And that's this, that nobody wakes up one day and says, man, I hope my life has no point to it, right? <laughs> like, I hope my life is pointless. Like, that would make a terrible graduation speech, wouldn't it? Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations on graduating high school. Now go live a pointless life. Yeah, like that just that doesn't make sense. That's not the, the, the way we live our lives. In fact, for most of us, we've lived our lives wondering, trying to figure out, striving, stressing over, toiling over, ah, what is my purpose? Like, like why am I even here? But here's what I know is that God designed your life unique and special. He, he hardwired into a personality and a gifts and, 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 and a proclivity to think a certain way and act. He, he hardwired some things in you to help you fulfill your purpose, but you can't discover your purpose apart from God. It takes God to discover God's purpose in your life because you can't choose your own purpose doing whatever you want. If it feels good, I'm going to do it. If it seems right to me, I'm going to do it. If it makes me happy and brings me joy, I'm going to then live out my own truth. That's the way that the world system in our society, that's the way many think. And Jesus says there's a paradox to purpose. You're missing it. It's actually the opposite. Discovering your purpose is really about you surrendering to God's plan. And in so doing, you discover your purpose. There is an element of fulfillment that comes when we walk out God's plan for our lives. Here's a little bit of uh, understanding. And today, my goal is to help us understand that, that God's designed purpose for our life is worth pursuing wholeheartedly. That's my goal. That's my hope today. And so I want to talk a little bit about purpose and, and God's purpose for our lives. Because what we see in this passage is that the vineyard owner, which represents God comes to those of us in humanity and he says, you, you, you seem like you need an assignment and a job to do. Why don't you come work in the fields and help me with the harvest? This is the invitation to our purpose. To discover our purpose is to begin to participate in something. If you're taking notes, I want you to write, write a few of these things down and uh, here, here's number one today. And if you're not taking notes, uh, you, can write this, you can write this down uh, or tweet it out if you would like. Here, here's number one. We have an assignment. You have a God-designed assignment. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus with our whole heart, there is a general purpose that God has for all of us. It, it's that general purpose of we want to go and seek and save the lost. It's a general purpose of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, making disciples of all the nations. 
baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as Jesus commissioned his disciples. And you'll read about it later in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Like there is a general purpose. The general purpose for a saved soul is to help save other souls. Freed people help free other people. Blessed people bless other people. There is a general assignment and purpose that God has for all of us. It is an invitation to participate in building the kingdom of God. Around here at Faith Church, we would say it like this. We bring faith to life. We bring it. We bring our faith into life to live it in living color so other people can see what it looks like for God to have a hold of our heart. To see what it looks like to have a life changed and transformed by the very goodness of God. We just got done singing about God's goodness. And Kyleen shared a really great word to, to help us understand and grab a hold of and change our mindset to receive God's goodness. But we all have an assignment. I think a lot of times we try to carry out our assumptions about our assignment rather than carrying out the actual assignment. I think many of us have an assumption. Like we assume that uh, because we're supposed to stand strong in our faith, that means we also need to argue and defend our faith. Still looking for the scripture that says, love your neighbor and win the arguments. Still waiting for that, that scripture to, to show. I'm waiting for the scripture to show up and it says, serve one another as long as they have the same color of skin and vote the same way you do. I'm still waiting for that, but sometimes it's our assumptions about the gospel and the assignment that God has for us. I, I'm still waiting on the verse that says, uh, I want you to serve the purposes of God as long as it fulfills and it's convenient for your life. As long as it's convenient to, to give of your life, then that's when you should serve. We live with certain assumptions that God doesn't have. And God is not looking or inviting us into his vineyard to carry out our assumptions. He's actually inviting us in to carry out an assignment. I think it's interesting that as you look at this parable that Jesus uh, never did spe give specifics as to the role that each of the workers fulfilled. Because I'm not so sure that the point is what specific role you fulfill in the kingdom of God as much as it is, is that you are invited to participate in the kingdom of God. Like, I don't know, what, I don't know if they were grape gatherers. I don't know if uh, the workers who were hired later in the day were the ones that were rolling the barrels out. I don't know if one of them got to taste test, sign me up, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what role they specifically had because it wasn't the role some of you are like, oh, I would serve in the church as long as it's the perfect role for me. It fits my schedule. It fits the, my giftings. Like, like when they discover that I should be leading worship, then I will use my, my gifts for God's glory. I don't think that we get to make those assumptions and choices. I think it's about just simply saying yes. See, I think that sometimes we get confused when it relates to our purpose in life, trying to find like the perfect fit, as if there's only one thing that we would ever be a perfect fit for. Well, I do think that there are things that fit better than others in our lives. I think most often our lives are best spent just pursuing God's purpose, and in the process we stumble into it. 
I used to counsel and, and give advice to young people, especially as a youth pastor. They enter their junior and senior year trying to discover, I don't know what the plan is for my life. Welcome to the club. Like, like, what is the purpose of life? I don't know. If you figure it out, let me know, right? And I think a lot of times they get overwhelmed by the options and the decisions of what should they do with their life, and you get paralyzed rather than begin a pursuit. I think about David, how David was anointed king. He had the opportunity. It was a blessing. He was going to be king. He was a young boy. And instead of going to the palace and saying, excuse me, king, I need a place of prominence. I need a seat at the cabinet decision-making table. This is my heritage, my right. I'm anointed to do this. Let me at it, king. That's not what he did. In fact, he, he reversed it. He went and found himself hiding back in the fields among the sheep where he shoveled sheep poo. And that's what he did. He just served. He found an opportunity to take some cheese and crackers to the front lines of his brothers, and he just served. He didn't make a big deal. He just chose to serve. And then he developed in this process of serving. You know what happened? His heart grew in love with God. He wrote song after song after song. And he developed a heart for God. Young people, let me help you. If you are struggling to discover your purpose and you're not sure what the meaning of it all is, can I just encourage you? Live like David. Fall in love with Jesus and just pursue him and watch you fall into your destiny. You'll fall into purpose because all of a sudden in pursuing Jesus, you learn to lay down your own priorities. You learn to lay down your own selfishness. You learn to lay down certain things and instead you begin to pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. And in that process, you begin to learn and see and know and find God in the moment. You find him in that place. David just kept doing uh, falling in love with Jesus and, and, and serving the people around him. And it led him to a place where eventually he would be in the palace. And he, he used his gifts in a special way. And his gifts began to make room for him because he was in a season of preparation. And oftentimes we just want to jump to the fulfilling of our purpose. But I think it's most often just about as we're pursuing Jesus, we just stumble and fall into our purpose. Because as you go, God begins to re define your assignment this has been the story of my life my journey where i thought it was this thing and that thing and just as i've decided to fall in love with jesus and serve him there has been an awakening and a redefining of what the assignment is and as i pursued jesus there's been a satisfaction of purpose in me colossians three seventeen says it like this and whatever you do whatever you do in word or deed whatever you do if you teach or you're a trainer somewhere. Whatever you do, if you work in a boardroom or you work in a hospital room, whatever you do, whether you work at home or you work on the road, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, if you're looking to discover your purpose, it will be found when you just say yes to the assignment of participating in building the kingdom of God. When you say yes to participating and growing in a personal relationship with Jesus. I think it's uh, worth noting 
that in this parable that the owner of the vineyard comes out and he says uh, at, at 6 o'clock, at 9 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, at 3 o'clock, and then again at 5 o'clock in the 11th hour of the workday. In the 11th hour of the day, he comes and he says, oh, you still don't have a purpose. Oh, you're still not working. Oh, you need an assignment. Come into my vineyard. I'll give you an assignment, which tells me something. And if I could just encourage those of you who have more gray hair than not, whether you cover it up or not, could I just encourage you for a minute? You might feel like you are in the 11th hour of your life, but it is not too late to continue on living the purposes of God in your life. If there is breath in your lungs, there is a purpose and an assignment that God has for you. You can maybe start in this season of life. You have the ability at the time and the means to maybe adopt a single parent family. Maybe there's a single mom or a single dad that God's put on your heart. And you just kind of adopt them as a part of your family, loving and supporting and caring and helping get to know the kids. You adopt a family. Maybe in this time of your life, you decide, I got opportunities, I can serve. And maybe you uh, find an opportunity like at our local uh, one of our local outreach partners here in town, The Beacon. They are needing more volunteers during the week for a couple hours a day to help sort and feed hungry people. If you have time and availability, this might be your opportunity. Maybe it's you, you start substitute teaching, or, or maybe you find a way to use your unique skills and degrees to serve the body of Christ and serve the local church in a unique way. Friends, it may be the 11th hour of your life, but there is still purpose for you to pursue. Here's what I know when it comes to the paradox of purpose. This is what I believe, that participating leads us to discover our purpose. It's a process of just working and showing up. And eventually we stumble into a fully satisfied life, fully alive to the purpose of God. But it all starts with realizing we have an assignment to help bring the good news to those around us. Here's the second thing uh, as it relates to this paradox of purpose that I want to help us understand, and that's this. Number two, rewards are God's desire. Rewards are God's desire. He, he desires to reward you for participating in his purposes. It's his heart. He is a good father who is benevolent and wants to give you those things. It's, a, it's, it's in his heart. In fact, all of the workers in this parable who uh, were approached by the vineyard owner to come and work the harvest of the vineyard was said, if you come work, I'll reward you. If you'll work, I'll reward you. Because that's kind of how the principles of seed and harvest, that's the principle in a kingdom of God. As you work and obey and surrender and steward the opportunities and the people and the things that God has given you, God rewards you with more. There's a blessing for working in the kingdom of God. James 1.17 says it like this. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father in heavenly lights, who doesn't change like a shifting shadow. He doesn't change like a shadow that's moving around because of the time of day or where the sun is shining. No, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he desires to give you a gift. And every gift, every good and perfect gift doesn't come from anywhere else, but it comes from above. 
God wants to reward you. Rewards are God's desire. Now, I think it's worth noting, not all rewards are fair in terms of the specifics, but are fair in that rewards do come. God doesn't move the finish line, though, right? He's not dangling a carrot. Okay, do this. Now, if you'll do this, now come here. He's not moving and changing who he is. He is good in nature and good in kind and good in action. And he wants to bless you. He wants to reward you. He wants to be generous to you. I think about it. Just look at it in the story. There was a reward for every person hired who participated in the vineyard that day. Everyone was rewarded. Now, some of them felt that their reward was unjust, unfair. They felt like they were being treated unfair, but actually, everything that they got was a promise from the vineyard owner. There was something to it. And and I think that uh, it's worth noting in this passage that when it comes to uh, the, the vineyard owner coming at the end of the day, Hiring people at the 11th hour, giving them the same reward as those who were hired at 6 and at 9 and at noon even. That, that there is an understanding that that is not logical or economical as a business owner, right? You're not going to pay somebody for a full-time job if they're only working 10 hours a week. right? Like That doesn't make logical sense. But here's the paradox, Rewards are simply a part of serving God, but they cannot be the pursuit. They cannot be our sole pursuit. No one was paid an unfair wage, yet the reward seemed like maybe it was unfair. Why? Because the reward was a sheer act of God's generosity. It was a complete act of God's generosity. I think we need to come to a place where we begin to accept the largeness of God and the gospel. We need to accept the fact that God wants to bless you and bless me. Now, now I want to give a caution. I am not a prosperity gospel perpetuator. Right? Like, like I, I don't stand up here peddling things, telling you that if you say the right verse and you do the right things and you do the right dance, then God is going to just bless you and give you money and make you, make you just greedy. Like, like God's just going to do it, even if you're not a good steward. But if you say the right prayer and do the right verse and give enough sowing of a seed and I can manipulate you to giving money, like, all that, like it's not some magic lamp that we rub. I think there are principles, and when we apply the principles, they work. Absolutely. Nor do I believe on the opposite side of things that this is a poverty gospel. That somewhere in the Bible it says you're only loved by God if you are poor and broke and unhealthy and you struggle. I don't think you see that in the scriptures. That that's not God's plan and desire. There are principles available to us. Look, look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. One version says, brings wealth. And he adds no sorrow to it. In other words, when you are blessed by God, he doesn't give you a guilt trip for having those things. He doesn't give you a guilt trip for it. Why? Because he wants to bless you. It is his nature to be generous and good to you. Rewards are a part of serving God but they are not the purpose of our pursuit. 
1 Peter 5, 4 says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that never fades away. It's a reward. 2 Timothy 4, 8 says, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Rewards are a part of the pursuit of the purposes of God. When you pursue God's purposes, he wants to reward you. We see it in the passage, in the parable, and you see it all through scripture. He wants to reward you and bless you. But the minute you start pursuing the blessing more than the blesser, the blessings start to dry up. Something happens. In fact, I would encourage you, it's not really about pursuing the blessing. It's actually about the prize isn't the money, isn't the materialism, isn't the satisfaction, isn't even having all of our needs met. The prize is Jesus and his presence. Look at Revelations chapter 4, verse 10. It says, then the 24 elders, they fell down before God who sits on the throne and they worshiped him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns down before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things by your name. You created them all. And by your will, they were created and have their being. They recognized that they had received all of these rewards for being faithful and participating in the purposes of God. And they're sitting there being, uh, they worked in the vineyard. They were there and they got these rewards and they realized that in his presence, that's the true prize. To fall more in love with Jesus, to recognize him. And, and so when they're there in the, in the presence of God, they can't help but throw all of the rewards right back at his feet because they recognize that he is the ultimate He's the one that their heart longs for. But don't miss the point that rewards are God's desire. It's part of his purpose and his plan. But here's the third, third thing, and it's a bit of a cautionary warning, if you will. Number three, thing, thing we need to understand about purpose is this. Entitlement is the enemy of our purpose. Entitlement is the enemy of of your purpose it's the enemy of your purpose and it creeps in subtly and it gets a hold of our heart and it is the enemy and it eats away and it deteriorate deteriorates our purpose and the satisfaction that we have in in our pursuit of the purpose look at matthew chapter 20 look at look at verse 10 when he's divvying out all of the rewards those that had been there the longest, those that came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. They expected to receive. They assumed that because they had been there longer, well, they would automatically be rewarded more. Even though the promise was, if you work for me, here's your wage. Here's the reward. That was the promise. The promise was a reward, and it was set at a denarius. They assumed, though, that because everybody was getting that same reward, that because they had been there longer, surely they would be given more. There was an assumption on their part that led them to an attitude and a heart of entitlement. Surely I'll get more. I've been at this church so long. Surely they'll name 
a building after me. I, I've been, I've worked so hard in this place. Surely they'll make me a coach on this team because I've just been here so long. It's my right. Surely I will be, ben, be the benefactor of, surely this will happen. Surely I'll get recognized. I've been serving so faithfully and doing all these things and working so hard behind the scenes. Surely I'll get the award this year. Surely it's going to happen for me. Surely my boss will know that I'm, I'm special. Surely. And end up, we create these assumptions in our lives and it grows into a sense of entitlement. Friends, can I just caution us? As followers of Jesus, it's easy to get tripped up in our purpose because entitlement creeps into our heart. It shows up in places like, surely God's going to punish those people who are rebelling in their sin, and surely his grace can't show up until they change all of their sinful behaviors and all of their habits that are ill, filthy and disgusting and gross and an abomination to God. When they finally change their behavior, then God's grace can show up in their life. And surely I'll be blessed more because I, I've, I've worshipped God my whole life. I've served him. I didn't have sex before I was married. I had one girlfriend and then we got married and I tithe and I serve and I dressed the part. I acted the part. I read my Bible. I prayed. I did all the good Christian boy and girl things. Surely my life will be more blessed because I've done all these things. And entitlement becomes the envy. Entitlement becomes the enemy rather of the purpose and we start to shift to start arguing and complaining and pointing out things in other people rather than allowing God's purposes to grow in our hearts we start picking apart rather than pursuing a purpose did you know entitlement there's a difference I think between entitlement and expectation expectation is faith-based and it and it helps us uh, believe God to do things. I think we need to live with expectation. But we also need to live with gratitude because where we don't have gratitude, you know what we grow in? Entitlement. Hey, I, I want you to, to, to know this. Entitlement is based on an assumption. Expectation is based on a promise from God. I'll say it again. Entitlement is based on an assumption that you have while expectation is built on the promise from God. If God has promised it, you can expect it. If he hasn't promised it, don't assume it. Assumptions bring about entitlement. Promises help us grow our expectation, our faith. Did, did you know that entitlement has a language? There's a way to tell just by listening to how people talk and the people how you talk to discover if entitlement is growing in your heart. Are you ready? Here, here it is. Criticism and complaining. The language of the entitled is criticism and complaining. They, they expected something based on an expectation. And look at what um, verse 11 says. And when they received their reward, they began to grumble against the landowner. They weren't just complaining that they received something. They were complaining and grumbling against the landowner. His character is off. If he really cared, he would have. If he really, really recognized the contribution that we've made, they would have celebrated us more. It's a criticism and a complaining. Criticism and complaining. Like gossip. Don't miss this. Like gossip. When we speak negatively 
against topics and people that we don't have access to influence, we're growing in entitlement. If it's not in your domain to fix, to change, then chill with the criticism. In our nation, in our community, in our home, in your, in your place of work. If you don't have the ability to impact change and affect change in a positive way, then don't speak negatively or complain. It's not helpful. All it's doing is gr- allowing a sense of gripe and, and criticism to grow in your heart. And it's building a sense of entitlement. And it eats away at your purpose. It deteriorates your purpose. Friends, let me say this. I want you to hear this with all of my heart. We are not entitled to God's goodness. I don't deserve his goodness. You don't deserve his goodness. But we can expect it. Why? Because he promised to be good to us. He promised to bring blessing and reward us. He promised to be here with us. We are not entitled to God's goodness, but we can for sure expect it. Entitlement is the enemy of your purpose. What have you been complaining about? What have you been criticizing and sitting back and critiquing intellectually that you don't agree with or you don't like? Friends, that might be an area where you're growing in a sense of entitlement and you've lost sight of your purpose. You know, earlier in Matthew chapter 19, this chapter before, Jesus makes a statement and he says, don't keep the little children from coming to me. Bring them in. Bring in the kids. Bring them in close. Because if you really want to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, you have to have a childlike faith, a perspective like that of a child, he says. And and I think it's interesting that if we're going to have childlike faith, the very first enemy children encounter when it comes to their childlike awe and wonder, I think is a sense of entitlement. Your children aren't very old when they learn the words, mine, 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 I do it, mine, no, mine. Mine, mine, mine. And followed closely by, that's not fair. That's not fair. They get to do this. That's not fair. Not fair. No fair. That's not fair. No fair. When we live with this perspective, we're living with an entitled heart. The gospel is not a gospel based on fairness in terms of output. It's just based on a sense that we all have an opportunity the outcomes may vary in our lives. The rewards may vary in our lives. The, 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 the blessing of God in our lives, it may vary from person to person, but we all will be rewarded. It's not about fairness, about being treated unfair. In fact, the landowner comes and says, if I wanted to withhold from you, I could. If I wanted to give them all of it, I could. Are you really just so envious that I decided to act generously? See, entitlement is the first enemy to our childlike faith and wonder. And if we're really going to see the goodness of God, if we really want to see what God has, we have to hold on to our childlike wonder. And isn't it true that the older you get, the less childlike wonder we naturally possess? 
And if we're not careful, we creep into an attitude of entitlement based on assumptions. And it eats away at our faith, our childlike faith, to be able to trust God that he's good. We may not be entitled to his goodness, but we can expect his goodness. You know, no matter what season you're in, there's a purpose that God wants to produce in your life. There's a kingdom purpose at work. And it's not always our preference. It's not even our way. And if we allow our entitlement to grow, we will miss out and forfeit the purposes of God in that season. When we grumble and we complain, we're in danger of losing and forfeiting the reward of the purpose. I think sometimes the longer we're quote-unquote saved, the easier it is to lose our hunger for God's purposes in our lives. We'll, we'll fight for demands, we'll fight for our comforts, we'll fight for our perspective, but what about God's purpose at work in our lives? You know, in this season of COVID-19, many of uh, still at home worshiping week in and week out in your homes, in your friends' homes, maybe gathering with some family at, at, at a house party, and you're streaming the service online. A few have begun to begin to come back into the facility. We're meeting in person little by little, but, and, and, and all through this time and this season, I've heard again and again, Pastor, I can't wait for the church building to open back up. We just, we just want to get back into the room, and it's not the same online, and oh, we wish this, and we love this thing, and oh, we just, and, and I'm, I'm right there with you. My heart longs to be together to embrace and to to pray together and to worship together and study together. My heart aches and it longs for that day. But friends, the more we gripe and we complain about the reality of the situation that we're in, the more entitled we begin to grow. We lose sight of our purpose. Or, no matter the pain, no matter the season, no matter the things that we feel like we're dealt, we can shift our perspective and look for God's purpose in this season. Got a card this week, or two weeks ago rather, from a lady in our church who has not yet and does not yet plan to return to in-person gatherings for a while. She said, this is what her her note said, you spend so much time helping and encouraging others, I just wanted to send you a note of encouragement and thanks. Although I'm missing everyone at church, I think I am actually getting more out of the sermons just online. Since our internet isn't good enough to watch live, it leaves me watching on demand later in the week. The plus side I've discovered is this. I can watch when I'm rested and totally ready to concentrate. I can back it up if I miss something. Apparently I talk fast or something. I can back it up if I miss it. I can take better notes. I can stop and think about what changes I need to make right now based on that truth. And then I can, I can resume it. Now, she's chosen a perspective to still receive and discover the full purpose of God in her life in this season. Friends, can I, can I tell you why she's not back in? It's not because she doesn't want to. It's not because she feels afraid to. It, It's actually a choice that she's made to lay down her own preference because she's serving someone else. See, she was in a small group, a connect group with some ladies, and one of the ladies' husband was in a place where being at home, he couldn't get out, and they had to keep a very uh, uh, isolated environment, sterile environment, and 
they needed some help to help with some medical things in their home during the week because of his, his illness. And they aren't themselves able to come back to church. And they themselves are watching online and chatting in the chat room and hosting some things. And, and they're finding an opportunity still to participate even though they're at home. And the lady who wrote the note is in their small group and said, you know what? I have some, some time. I, I'm retired from a, a nursing profession. I have the skills. Let me come help you during the week. So a couple times a week, drives a distance to be at their house to help in a practical way meet the needs of somebody in their connect group. I love that the purpose of God is often found where the people of God just see a need and meet a need. We didn't arrange it as a church. We didn't coordinate it. We didn't set it up. We didn't post it. Hey, we need some help doing this. No, they saw a need and they met a need. It's the people of God responding in a positive way, saying, you know what? I have purpose. My purpose is to bring faith to life. Here's an opportunity. I'm going to go in and I'm going to do those things. And she's had a perspective shift that even though she can't be here in person and her internet isn't good to even live stream it, she's finding a way to enrich her life because her purpose purpose is in pursuing God, not in her own preferences. And this is what we get to do as the people of God. The paradox of purpose is simply this. When you pursue God's purpose, you discover a greater sense of his presence in your own life. You know, communion is an invitation to come and eat and drink from the table that God himself provided. You were stuck in your sin and you couldn't do anything about your sin. But Jesus came, shed his blood, which is uh, resembled it, uh, or, or, or represented by the juice. And in so doing, we get to partake of forgiveness, something we were helpless, we couldn't provide it on our own. We were broken and we're busted and we're separated and, and there's a wholeness that we need and his body was broken so our bodies could be made whole. This is the invitation. This is the power of communion. It is an invitation to eat and drink of something that we didn't provide or make ourselves. We didn't provide it. We didn't make it. We didn't come up with it. Like children incapable of prepping a meal on their own, God welcomes us to a table where he's provided it all for us. And we, in childlike wonder, void of a sense of entitlement, knowing that his reward is his goodness, and he invites us to participate in an assignment. In childlike faith and wonder, we get to partake and give thanks in all things. Not for every situation, but in every situation we give thanks, First Thessalonians says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. As we come to the Lord's table together, let's stop and just linger for a minute and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Just pause for a minute and, and ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Lord, we come to the table together, together today, Lord. Where we take the bread, we say thank you for giving your life for us. Your body was broken so ours could be made whole. Lord, may it be your body that satisfies the longings in our soul. Lord, where we've missed it on our purpose, where we've misused.
have lived with entitlement, God, may we choose to find satisfaction in your body, in your life, broken for us. Let's take and eat and remember these, this before the Lord together. And Lord, we're, we're so thankful as we come to receive of the cup represents the forgiveness of our sins and though our sins would be many he washes us white as snow scripture says in this moment if you're far away from God and you've never given your life to Jesus this is the moment where you simply say Jesus would you be my savior I want to put my faith in you and Lord as we drink this together in this moment we're proclaiming the gospel the good news you are for us, you are healing us, and you are with us. We thank you for it. We receive this with gratitude, remembering your sacrifice. Let's remember together. Now, Lord, as we come to the conclusion of our time studying scripture, of worshiping and praying, Lord, may I just pronounce a blessing over your people that you would bless us and keep us. You would make your face shine on us and be gracious unto us. Would you lift up your joyful countenance towards us and give us peace? May we taste your goodness this week, God, as we pursue your purpose and discover a greater sense of your presence. In Jesus' name, in the name of the Father who loves us and his Son, Jesus who died for us, and in the Holy Spirit who is with us always, we pray. Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Hey, friends and family. I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link and when you do that you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them hey if faith church has made an impact in your life if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith would you consider partnering with us financially when you do that it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real jesus you can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.